Hello, and welcome to the Lancet podcast. It's Friday, August 13th. I'm Nikolai Humphreys. In a moment, alarming results of a trial concerning the weight loss drug Rimonaband. But first, some highlights from the issue dated August 14th to August 20th, which is a cardiology-themed issue and will be going to the European Society of Cardiology meeting taking place in Stockholm on the 28th of August to the 1st of September. This week, editorials turn their attention to clinical research in the US. Are regulatory hurdles and weak infrastructure impeding the planning and execution of clinical trials? New guidelines for genetic testing are welcome but insufficient. And a third editorial looks at TB and HIV co-infection in China. A world report accounts how ESC is tackling child congenital heart disease in the poorest regions of the world. And in the red section, an article previously published online is published in print. It weighs up autograft versus homograft aortic root replacement. It assesses the long-term outcomes of both techniques in an RCT in adults with aortic valve disease. Finally, a review explores the effects of omega-3 polyunsaturated fatty acids on cardiac disorders and risk factors for cardiac disease. Now, for this week's feature on Rimonabant and cardiovascular risk. Here is Richard Lane talking to Eric Topol, lead author of the Crescendo trial. Professor Topol, many thanks indeed for talking to The Lancet. You're one of the authors of a fascinating and disturbing randomized trial in this week's issue of The Lancet concerning the weight loss drug Rimonabent, which um, we've detailed in The Lancet before. Before we go into the details of this trial and the alarming findings that ensued, can you just talk about for a moment the mechanisms of the drug Rimonabent? Because it has a particular mode of action, doesn't it, to do with the endocannabinoid pathway? Yes, exactly, Richard. It's actually the endocannabinoid um, receptor is turns out to be exceptionally uh, interesting from a scientific standpoint because it's expressed in both the brain and adipose tissue uh, particularly. So it has a central effect in it when you block this receptor of de- decreasing appetite, but it also has a very favorable effect at the adipose tissue level with respect to uh, lipoproteins and other metabolic pathways. Thank you. And do go on and tell us about the specific aims of this study, because this concerns the drug Renomabant. We know through the literature, don't we, that Renomabant has had some success as a therapeutic option for uh, inducing some weight loss. And we mustn't forget about the lifestyle uh, issues concerning weight loss, which perhaps we can touch on later. But there have been some doubts or concerns, haven't there, about the safety of this drug? That's true. Um, the, the problem with the, the previous trials, in which there had been many and thousands of patients, had been there had never been a clinical endpoint, uh, clinical outcome trial. All the trials were with respect to uh, weight loss or with respect to uh, favorable effects on uh, on lipids and on uh, diabetes parameters, glucose homeostasis, uh, and ultrasound of atherosclerosis, but nothing touched on clinical endpoints. So this trial was the first to really zoom in on that critical question is, would Ramonaband improve clinical outcomes? Sure. Um, so go on and, and do tell us about the specific methodology of, of this study and what your clear predetermined primary endpoints were and the populations you were dealing with. This is a huge study, isn't it? Yes, um, this, this really was an enormous effort, um, certainly one of the largest uh, international clinical trials, over 18,600 patients, 974 hospitals, 42 countries, so it was just an extraordinary effort. 
And these patients were either those who had uh, a cardiovascular history of events in the past, or they were deemed to be at increased risk. Um, and so they were thought to be potentially benefiting from this endocannabinoid receptor blockade. Uh, because we knew already, it was well established how not only did it reduce obesity, but it improved uh, triglycerides, HDL, uh, glucose homeostasis. So we thought that it could, the hypothesis is that if we long-term treatment could reduce death, heart attack, or stroke. One quick um, point of clarification there. This trial is done among a, a large population of obese individuals. So i.e. with a high BMI and a weight, high waist circumference. Um, just to clarify, anyone who is obese is at increased risk of cardiovascular disease anyway. Is this a specific subgroup of obese people who are at particularly high risk of cardiovascular disease? That, that's right, Richard, that the patients in this trial, it was beyond the fact that they had an increased BMI, uh, that they also had to have, I mean, the average BMI in the trial was over 33 so they clearly had uh, problems with obesity. But they either had to already have a manifest cardiovascular disease or they had to have other risk factors in addition to obesity. So, you know, we were trying to identify patients at the highest risk of developing uh, subsequent events. Thank you for that clarification. And, and do go on and tell us more about the methodology here. Well, the planned uh, trial... Uh, was, you know, for patients to be receiving this drug for at least three years to see whether or not there would be a benefit of reducing cardiovascular death, heart attack, or stroke. But along the way, uh, unexpectedly, the trial had to be abruptly terminated with only less than 14 months of follow-up, less than approximately almost about a third of the follow-up that had been anticipated. So this was a, a, a really a tragic blow uh, to end the trial, and also the new precedent that the trial closure was uh, deemed uh, necessary by the regulatory authorities in multiple European countries. Indeed, we'll come to that, that point uh, in a moment. But um, as I said, specifically though, you were looking at an endpoint, it was a composite endpoint, wasn't it, uh, what, what you were looking at? That's right. So the, the, the composite of cardiovascular death, heart attack, or stroke, which occurred in about 4% of patients, both in the Ramona Bank group as well as in the placebo group. So overall, there was no difference uh, at this approximate 14-month follow-up. Because obviously, the, the, as you said, the trial was designed to go on longer than that. But the real story of this trial, of course, is not the uh, non or insignificant statistical result that you just mentioned, but the fact that the trial was stopped. Go on and tell us about that. Yes, well, you know, there had been uh, clear knowledge that the, the drug had two uh, types of side effects that were undesirable. One was the gastrointestinal, uh, particularly nausea, which, of course, would stop uh, if the drug was discontinued. The other was the neuropsychiatric effects that included depression and anxiety. Uh, but it wasn't clear when we started the trial uh, that this drug would also carry a risk of suicide, uh, suicide gestures, suicidal ideation, so that the depression, you know, went to an extreme. And that, that became more clear because this drug was being marketed throughout Europe. And so there were more and more cases of, of serious uh, psychiatric 
side effects, which included some suicides. Yeah, but the drug, though, was never regulated by the FDA, was it, in the United States? That's right. The FDA reviewed the drug, and they uh, really did not feel comfortable with respect to the, uh, the neuropsychiatric side effects. And so they were, waiting, they were waiting for more data. And, of course, we had anticipated that this large trial with multi-year follow-up would be uh, ideally suited to provide that data. What was your reaction when it became clear that you had some real instance of, um, of fatal side effects? Um, the three countries concerned, I think, were Ireland, France, and Germany that were involved in the trial. Was it a shock? It was a shock because in the trial, we only had uh, four patients in the Ramonabond group and one in the placebo who actually committed suicide. So, you know, that's that's uh, among almost, you know, pushing 19,000 patients. So it's an exceptionally low rate of uh, what is, of course, a catastrophic side effect. But there only was an excess of three patients uh, in this, you know, exceptionally large uh, cohort. So the question that remains, of course, uh, were, were could that type of risk be titrated by a marked benefit if the drug had been shown, you know, if the trial had extended to the period that we had, uh, had planned. Uh, so that, that's, that question will always remain uh, an open, uh, un, unresolved one. So it's, it's, it's quite unsettling. Uh, the other thing is, of course, that in the trial, we were screening the patients very carefully for depression, for psychiatric disturbance. And so the concern is, even if we showed benefit, would that ever prove to be safe in the real world when you, can't, when you typically wouldn't do such careful screening? Indeed. So what happens now? I mean, clearly the drug wasn't licensed by the FDA. They were awaiting further data. The data they've got from this trial clearly isn't going to change their mind about uh, Remonabant. What about the European regulatory agency? They've, they've now um, dropped it as well, yeah? Yes, they dropped it, and you know I think the the new precedent here. You know I've been involved with clinical trials for 25 years, uh, and I've never seen the regulatory body stop a trial in its course, because I mean a trial is de is designed to uh, help uh, resolve questions about safety, and so here the the plug was pulled on the trial. And um, I think that's really unfortunate. And it not only led to the death of Ramonaban, the death of the trial, but the entire endocannabinoid receptor class of drugs through multiple manufacturers, essentially all were ultimately canceled. There were at least three programs um, in the world besides uh, the one that we worked on with Sanofi on this work, Ramonaban. All of them were were basically stopped. Thank you. That was going to be my final question, actually. What next for drug development in this area? Is it, is it, is it dead and buried? Well, I think it's really unfortunate because uh, we, have, we have, as the number one public health issue today is uh, obesity. And we know that it's almost impossible to get lifestyle improvement, you know, behavioral uh, efforts to to turn this around. So it looks as though we are in desperate search for a pharmacologic solution. And we are probably going to be facing any drug that has some untoward side effects. So, of course, there are many different drugs and drug combinations that are being explored today, such as the one that just was published in last week's uh, Lancet. Uh, and I think, you know, th these 
uh, are going to be important to pursue, and hopefully um, they will not run into the same problems that we did with Ramonabad. But in the meantime, clearly the focus and the emphasis has to go back to prevention. Uh, yes. I mean, I think we do know now about genomics and who is going to be more at risk to developing significant obesity. We even know a deletion uh, in the genome that's accompanied by a 40-fold risk of morbid obesity. And we could apply genomics to make the drugs safer, which is another thing that wasn't um, employed in our Crescendo trial, which I deeply regret. Well, as I said, it's it's a fascinating, if alarming, story, really, and um, you know, fascinating read. And, and clearly, I think your conclusion in the paper is this serves as a reminder as to how careful we must be when we're carrying out these trials. Is that right? Yes, I think whenever you're doing such a large trial, while the drug is on the market, you know, being used in a different way, to see uh, such an uh, an effort like this be prematurely stopped. And then the drug basically uh, uh, ended. The whole the whole life cycle of the of the drug is, um, is stopped immediately. This I don't think anybody anticipated. So I think it's a it's a very important lesson in in drug development, and certainly in an area where it's a it's a vital one for continued pursuit. Professor Topol, always a pleasure talking to you on the line from La Jolla in Southern California. Many thanks indeed for talking to the Lancet. Oh, thanks very much, Richard. It's a pleasure. And that just about brings things to a close for this week's episode of the Lancet podcast. Don't forget, for the latest publication information and daily updates, be sure to check out thelancet.com. Or, if you're feeling social, why not join the debate on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. Addresses available on the website. So, from me, Nicola Humphreys, goodbye. See you next week.